Welcome to Counterbalance Conversations, the program that enables and encourages you to make the changes you need to make a true difference in our world. Your host is Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. Our hope is that by hearing from people who have stood out and made a positive change in their community, their lives, and their world, you'll feel the need to do the same. Now, here is Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. Hello, and welcome back to Counterbalance Conversations. I'm Dr. Melissa L. Strasser, your host. And if this is your first time here, welcome. We're glad that you've joined us. If you're joining us again, thank you very much for continuing to listen. As always, we're striving to bring you the most visionary individuals who are making change and sparking change in their communities and that are bringing the best out in others. Today, we have Jason Hedden with us. He is a teacher, actor, and director. He is currently a professor of theater and a chair of visual and performing arts at Gulf Coast State College in Panama City, Florida. He is the co-founder and board president of Emerald Coast Theater Company. He is an active writer, public speaker, and stand-up comedian. He enjoys traveling, spending time exploring the outdoors with his wife and his son. And also, I am very glad to call him friend. I've known him. We were talking prior to the show about how long it has been um, since we we met our work together. And we said, oh, my gosh, it's been well over 10 years since we did our first summer theater project at Gulf Coast State College together. And that was the first time I really had the opportunity to work with you and really see the creative genius that comes out of you. So welcome, Jason. Tell us a little bit about your story. Uh, well, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me. I think I think when we worked together ten years ago, you 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 weren't even a doctor yet. You were you were you were just a you were just a, a, a plain old Melissa Strasser. So I was. So, uh, <laughs> so congratulations, <laughs> congratulations to that. I don't I don't know if I've even seen you in person since you uh, you know uh, earned your earned your latest credentials. So it's been I don't pretty exciting. think we have. I don't know. So it's been fun to watch your your journey since we uh, worked together what a decade ago. Oh, goodness. That sounds like a long time, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your story. Sure, sure. sure. Well, you you covered a lot of it in the, in, in the intro bio there. Um, I was sort of the, um, you know, I was one of those, those theater kids. I got hooked in middle school. I had a, I had a middle school drama teacher, Miss Bevan, who uh, took all the class clowns or the wannabe class clowns and put us in this class called drama. And uh, we spent a couple years reenacting the original Saturday Night Live sketches, you know, all the Gilda Radner stuff and all the Belushi stuff. And I was just sort of hooked. You know, I, I found my my people, as they say. And um, I, w- I was hooked from then then on. I, I had to give up playing sports in high school it conflicted with theater which is fine because I was horrible at sports so it wasn't a it wasn't a difficult decision um (laughs) at all but uh it's been it's been sort of my uh my life's work I met my wife through the theater I I have friends all over the world because of the theater I have my my job and my students because of the theater and uh Mm -hmm. I've lived all over the country I've lived in uh, Seattle Washington and Columbus Ohio and Santa Cruz California and Tampa, Florida, and London, England for a short stint. And I've been back here at Gulf Coast uh, in Panama City since 
2008, I joined as the faculty and I've been division chair since 2015. So, uh, time so are you originally from Panama City? Uh, no, my uh, military brat. So okay. my, my dad was career Navy and uh, he was in the SEAL teams and we bounced back and forth from Little Creek, Virginia to, mm-hmm. uh, to Panama City, Florida. So I've been here on and off and then graduated high school here and uh, then moved away for a decade and then uh, came back in 2008. So I, it's, it's home because I've lived yeah. here more than I've lived anywhere else, but uh, mm-hmm. I've been all over the place. Um, you actually grew up in uh, one of in my stomping grounds. I grew up in uh, in the Hampton Roads. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, so um, that was my one hundred percent longest place that I've lived, and okay. I got to Panama City via Washington D.C. So there it was a pretty big uh, culture change. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I got here, but I found some of the most amazing friends and amazing people. Uh, in the Panama City area since um, since I got here 20 years ago. And it was really fantastic whenever I found my my kind of education family at the college. And that was such a great uh, opportunity to work with all of you. So you've done a lot since um, uh, just in the last few years. And I told you I was going to bring this up. So I'm going to go ahead and do it early because I really want to get into your topic about uh, getting out of your comfort zone. And this, I think, will transition us right into into that. Um, as a lot of people uh, may know, we had uh, Hurricane Michael almost uh, two years ago. Almost three, uh, three, almost years, three ago. years ago. Three years ago. Sorry, I lost three, a year three, in there. Three years ago on the tenth of next month. Yeah. Yeah. So three years ago, and um, I I told you I would tell the stories. I don't know if I can say I can tell you sh- with a straight face without uh, tearing up over this. So once I was able to you know get out of town, so to speak, after a uh, Cat 5 hurricane, most people don't realize it's extraordinarily difficult to leave if you're still here. Um, and so once I was able to get out and go to uh, my alternate location that I was gonna stay at for, you know, until we got water and power and things like that back, yours was one of the first faces that I was able to see that everything was okay. You were where I was getting updates from you were and then you were bringing the arts back in you were already talking about how can we do this and really engaging your students that were still able to participate in uh, different projects you were bringing them in to help to bring the arts back to the community and as we rebuilt you uh, opened up a talent that I didn't know that you had, which was your writing and your poetry, which seemed to speak for our entire community. And I think I can speak uh, for our entire community who was able to experience that with you. Um, So I was surprised and so grateful for that. And so I think getting out of our comfort zone, all of us during that time, got way out of our comfort zone. And I've seen you grow and make a lot of shifts during that time. So how did that time period transition you, take you into a different direction? Were you always a writer? 
Was this just something that came out of you? Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for saying that. Thank you for reading. Um, no, it was weird. Um, the, the, no, I, I, I was never, never considered myself a writer. The, the honest truth was it was sort of a selfish activity at first. Um, like everyone, I was being bombarded with images and, and, and situations and feelings and emotions. And I'm a verbal guy, I mean, by training and by nature. But I literally found myself at a loss for words. I couldn't, I couldn't verbally articulate what I was seeing, feeling, um, experiencing. And I refused to revert to those cliched things that we sometimes say with good intention in difficult times. I just mm-hmm. like the actor in me would not allow me to, to, to not be authentic in that way. So verbal communication was, um, was no longer an option. So every morning I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning, waiting for curfew to, mm-hmm. you know, cause we couldn't go do anything out of our own yard until 6am. So yes. I woke up and I would lay there on my couch with my phone in notepad and I would just sort of spill my, my, my guts. And then during the day I would go out and, and, and work and, and like we all did to do whatever we could to, to help those around us. My personal situation, we were, um, more fortunate than most. Um, Mm -hmm. so a lot of family were able to live with, with us, um, out here on the, the, the East end of the beach. And, um, but that was sort of my morning ritual. And I would just sort of take everything I was seeing and experiencing during the day and filter it, you know, and, and this, the, these, these poems, um, became my way of ordering the chaos, my way of controlling something when everything mm-hmm. was out of control and I could control these words on a page. And I, and I started sharing them on Facebook and, and it was humbling that, uh, some of them seem to be resonating with, with, um, with more folks. And so, um, it became almost like a, like a, like a practice. I, I think I ended up doing like 40 consecutive days or, or something. Uh, no, I did 38 consecutive days. I came up with some weird math problem. Mm-hmm. I'm like the date was 10, 10, 18. So I did 10 plus 10 plus 18. So, yeah, so that was my way of, 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 I knew I had to end it yeah. at some point. So that was my way of getting out. So, so thank you for saying that. And I was just one of many people in the local arts community who was attempting to uh, process what we were all going through, uh, through, through whatever medium was, was, was available mm-hmm. to us. And that was, that was mine. So thank you. Yeah. And I, I really think that the arts community and this is my perspective and I'm kind of, I'm a shadow artist, shadow writer, you know, I'm the one that helps the writers, the artists and, and such. And I, I will tell you that the arts community from my perspective brought this community back together, brought it back to life and has also done the same thing through the COVID pandemic as well. So if there was ever a question, if you heard last week's conversation with uh, Adrian. Um, we were talking about bringing, you know, the arts back into school and STEM. 
um, and how it should be part and make it steam instead of stem. So she had that conversation last week. And I think this is proof positive that we, that the arts is such a valuable, um, practice and commodity and valuable and enriching part of our lives that I think it's really important that we, we focus on maintaining that and helping our artists and supporting, um, whatever art they, they bring to the table, whatever that happens to be. So I wanted to make sure. So as you were doing all that, so it sounds like that comfort zone for you. So, you know, you had a pretty tantalizing, uh, show title, which is opening for Elvis. I would love to hear about that, but you can uh, get to that when you want to. But tell me a little bit about getting out of your comfort zone and improving. And, you know, I know you had a message that you wanted to kind of bring to the audience tonight. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm um, first of all, I, I just like titles. I like trying to come up with titles and figure I think titles are important. Um, so that one was, was sort of fun opening for Elvis. I'll tell that story in in a minute. I I guess I should preface it by saying, you know, there are, there are two ways to be out of your comfort zone. One is voluntary and the other is involuntary and, and the hurricane Michael, um, like, like our, our friends to, to the West are experiencing with their most recent, uh, storm is, is involuntarily being out of your comfort zone. Um, and you're just forced to deal and, and people deal with that in all sorts of ways. The, the kind that I'm going to talk more about and hopefully we'll, we'll discuss is the voluntary type where you're purposely putting yourself out of your comfort zone for the, um, with the goal of growth, the goal of getting, getting better at something, stretching yourself that sort of thing. Not to say that growth doesn't come from uh, involuntarily being out of your comfort zone. Um, But there's also a lot of extra stress that, that, that goes along with that. Um, It's funny. I actually had started the title comes uh, opening for Elvis and other ways to get out of your comfort zone because I, I, I opened for a local entertainer who uh, one of his many talents is, is an Elvis show that he mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. And I'd gotten into stand-up comedy mm, a few months before the hurricane. Um, a former student got me involved and I had not been doing stand-up very long when I booked a gig um, with this local uh, musician, entertainer yeah. to open for his Elvis show. And um, I was supposed to do two 15-minute sets, which, by the way, was way too much time for me to do. I, I, I only have 30 <laughs> minutes now, three years later. I certainly didn't have 30 minutes a year in. And um, so I packed room full of 200 people, and nobody knew there was going to be a comedian on the show. And they're all there to see Elvis. And... Um, I come out telling my, my dad jokes and, uh, it did not go well. It, uh, it, it, um, I, I bombed as they say. And, uh, it was, it was, it was tough. Um, 
it's very weird to, to, to have 200 people <laughs> staring at you like, what are you doing? Why are you here? I like to think, had they known there was going to be a comedian, they at least would have known, oh, this guy's trying to be funny. But instead, yeah. I think they just thought, this is the longest announcement ever. Where Where is the musician? And uh, and it was odd. My my The only bit that got any laughter the whole night was the, t- the tables were numbered, like uh, cabaret-style tables for the servers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was one guy, for whatever reason, that was carrying a baby in one of those baby Bjorn-style carriers, and then another young child was by him. So I, I joked that that was the, the babysitting table and everyone to send your kids over there. So throughout the night, I would just check in with the guy at table 45 who was babysitting. And that was the only laugh we got. <laughs> and um, that was rough. When you have 30 minutes of material planned, that was 30 minutes of material, maybe if people were laughing. But because no one was laughing, I got through my first 15 minutes of material in about eight minutes. Oh, so, wow. so it was, it was pretty rough. It was pretty rough, but. Were you sweating and why? It, I was, it was rough. It was rough. And you, you yeah. tend to, in those moments, um, you know, I have a big theater background. I've been on stage before. I know when it's not going well, the difference is when it's just you, um, it's it's just you. So when yeah. when it's not working, it's all you. When it is working, it's all you. So yeah. So in the moment, I was just trying to survive, you know, and, and get off stage. That was that was the goal. And I could have you know blamed the audience, which is what we tend to do sometimes. But the reality is, um, they didn't fail. I was the one who failed. And the performer came out, and he has a lot of sort of. Um, banter and and one-liners throughout his set and he was getting plenty of laughs so it was not it was not the audience's fault Um, right it was mine it was definitely mine and I and I learned way more from that experience than I would have learned had it gone really well right I, I recently reached out to this guy after having a lot more success this summer and continuing to work at it and I, and I basically said, hey, I appreciate you giving me that opportunity a couple of years ago. I know I did not do well, um, but I learned a lot from it. And it meant a lot to me that you, you trusted me uh, with it. And I just sort of wanted to thank him for taking a, taking a chance, uh, which, which I did. And, uh, you know, maybe at some point I'll go back and, and redeem myself. But it'll probably take a little more therapy before I can. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, as a corporate trainer, I've had those same type of experiences. So it's not just, you know, in front of an audience and comedy. And even during that project we worked on, the summer theater project, I had that speaking part. And I was used to being in front of, oh yeah, you know, people in corporate training, you know, and being the expert on the topic. Right. And then... I got up in front of these folks and it was a different venue. And I had two or three people that were these extraordinary artists. Uh, I think there was somebody who was singing before me and there was somebody who really brought this really, this script that was very powerful. So I had the heightened emotions from that. Then I was telling my story. And so I was being really extraordinarily vulnerable because corporate training is not traditionally 
super vulnerable. You'll tell some of your stories, some well-planted, placed experiences. Right. But content-wise, it's about them, not about you. But I remember standing there and it was, I mean, I can remember it to this day going, okay, that didn't go as well as I had thought, even though I had rehearsed it and rehearsed it and rehearsed it in my mind, in the car and, you know, the, you know, wherever I could, you know, read through and do a reading in my office, Mm -hmm. at home, everywhere. And I got up there and the emotion just came over me and I wasn't expecting it. I was like, I'm just going to go up there and do what I always do. I can talk pain off of a wall. We all know that. (laughs) And um, so that emotion also contributes to that comfort zone um, learning experience. Um, Because I will tell you, I felt the same way the first day I got behind this mic because this was not something I have planned. It was an opportunity that said, here you go. And I think I talked to you about this and I was like, I think I'm going to have to go take a public speaking class or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And once you get used to it and you get used to the newness of things, you learn a lot, you learn the tricks. And right before you heard Josh say, I told you as you get uh, through a few shows, it's like riding a bike and uh, or something. He said something to that effect. Um, so I would agree with you. I, I learned a lot from that experience. I don't think it was a, a fail. I think I just was not expecting mm-hmm. the vulnerability and the emotional aspect of it. So anyone who can do that on a regular basis through acting or, um, through singing or even presenting their music, I think that is such an act of sheer courage yeah well i'll say that mine was a fail and i'm and i'm 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 okay to call it that and i'm sort of okay with that in fact that's sort of one of my 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 thoughts about this um getting out of your comfort zone is being willing to fail Mm -hmm. um and we don't like to but we certainly tend to learn more from that you know i think about the 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 opposite you know it it in the in the arts world you know i've i've been I've said before, you know, it doesn't do anybody any good to be at the top of the artistic food chain. And this is true in whatever field. But for my mm-hmm. students, I tell them, you know, if the best thing you ever see in the theater is something we direct or a show we produce here at the college, we have failed you. Because you you have to be exposed to the next level stuff. You know, they have to get out of town and go go 45 minutes west and, and see something in Emerald Coast Theater Company, see something at Seaside Repertory Theater, get up to Atlanta, see the touring shows. Unfortunately, a lot of our venues are closed since the hurricane still, so we don't have as many professional touring shows coming through. But it's mm-hmm. it's an essential part of their edu- arts education to continue to have that bar raised for them. And I, I, I learned this I knew it, but, you know, I, I was reminded of this a few years ago when I took students to uh, Atlanta um, to see a show. And and afterwards, they uh, Destiny Steele, who was in the class, you and I together, she's doing great mm-hmm. things, by the way. Um, Broadway tours and her own business building, building, building wow. wigs and very, very proud of her. Um, that is fantastic. But um, 
after that trip to Atlanta, Destiny said to me, some of your notes, your acting notes, uh, your critique makes sense now. Because up until then, they had never had, or she expressed, she had never had a model of the standard of excellence that we were shooting for, such that there was no way to apply the notes because they'd never seen the end result of taking those notes. And that was a real sort of big wake-up call to me about how essential it is for us to make sure that our students are, are, are seeing that next level stuff. And this is true for whatever field you're in. If you're mm-hmm. the best person you know at mm-hmm. what you're doing, you need a new set of colleagues. Yeah. If, you're, if your goal is improving, right? I mean, the, my, my analogy is, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a sprinter and I want to get faster, I have to run with people that are faster than me. Mm-hmm. And if you live in a community where the thing you're into, you don't have fast people there, then you need to find a way to reach out and, 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 and have that bar raised for you. Um, Cause it's, it's essential or you will mm-hmm. just, you will atrophy. Um, yes. Art- artistically or professionally or, or whatever. And I feel really, I feel real strongly about that. Mm-hmm. And I have started doing that even in my own business because um, one of the things that I'm striving to do is doing the public speaking on a, a you know, a broader scale sure. outside of the area. And um, I've just recently put together a group of women professional speakers that are in my circle with the same type of um, goals. One of them is Adrienne. I have somebody in Phoenix who will be on the show next week. Um, another lady who is a cybersecurity person. She's in Montana. I have one person, uh, Megan uh, Bilnowski, who was on uh, the show a couple of weeks ago. She is also in this group. And so we're starting to get together and we're creating this little tribe for ourselves or this mastermind to push each other and say, hey, I'm doing this. What are you doing? Or if I say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Well, can I run it past one of you guys who don't live here that's out of the area that has a different market and they'll give me and they listen to the show sometimes and a couple of them give me critiques and they say I caught the show and here's what I think you could have done better um and then I have the cheerleaders of course you know you all we all need the cheerleaders who go everything's great (laughs) um but those individuals I agree with you even in my business as a coach, we have, um, you know, I don't necessarily have people in the area that are along that line for me, but also out of the area. Um, I start looking for other coaches, other influencers, individuals who are doing what I want to do and working, either working with them, you know, and I tell people, I say, if your coach doesn't have a coach, then they shouldn't be coaching you. You know, and so I think that's where your, you know, your students are going uh, as well. They're saying, oh, this is where I need to go. How are you doing that with the pandemic? I know we've got um, just a couple of minutes before we go to our first break. But how are you doing that now with the pandemic? How are you getting them to some of those places? Well, I mean, what what, the good thing that's happened um, with with the pandemic is, 
a lot of professional theater is is being live streamed and they're they're showing a lot more i mean the classic examples that they filmed hamilton is available on on disney and things like that mm -hmm. a lot more thing there's a lot more access because it's either stream it or people don't get to see it so that that's right. the short that's the short answer but we want to get back to the face to face yeah. So um, are you going to be taking them out of town on trips and maybe even opening some of the to give them that access? Yeah, as soon as soon as we're authorized to travel, we would love to. We're hoping by spring we'll we'll be able to get out of town again is the hope. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, we're going to head out to our first break. And then when we come back, um, I really want to uh, talk about what you're looking to do going forward. You know, uh, talk about your comedy and what you're doing now, uh, now that we've talked about how you get out of your comfort zone, and then just what we're going to do going forward. And so we're going to be going to our break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Counterbalance Conversations with Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. Find out more about Dr. Melissa by visiting drmelissalstrasser.com. Now back to the show. Hi, and welcome back. We're here with Jason Hedden, if you are just now joining us. And we were talking about getting out of your comfort zone and how failing was really valuable for you and how you can use those experiences in every field to help you move forward. So Jason, you said during the break, you had kind of that next analogy that you wanted to talk about with the audience. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a juggler. Um, I learned to juggle 20 years ago 
Um, but I'm no better at juggling than I was one year after I started juggling. Um, because I don't, I don't practice. I, I got to a certain level and that was it. Um, but I, I, a few years ago, I, re- I read a book that really sort of changed my way of thinking as it relates to trying to get better at something. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, um, I've got it sitting here. Uh, it's called Talent is Overrated uh, by Jeff Colvin, spelled G-E-O-F-F. Uh, the subtitle is What Really Separates World-Class Performers from Everybody Else. And it's this sort of great book where he goes in and, and, and just talks about people like, like, uh, cause with talent, um, people tend to think one of two ways. It's either, you know, given by God or the universe, or it's, it's achieved through hard work. And, you know, spoiler alert, the, the, the premise of the book is that it's from work, you know, and it's the, the Malcolm Gladwell, you know, the 10,000 hours, you know, uh, 10 yeah. years, uh, 20,000 hours. I'm, 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 I'm messing it up, but yeah, uh, you you know the you ten thousand hours. There you 10, go, ten thousand hours of practice. Yes, um, ten years, ten thousand hours. Ten I years or ten thousand hours. Okay, yeah. I was second. I was second guessing the number of hours. Um, but the thing that resonated most with me in the book is um, he talks about the, these three zones: uh, the learning zone, the comfort zone, and the panic zone. And I I do an illustration with juggling. If I had if I had planned, I would have I would have. I would have done those now and got it in camera. But for me, being in my comfort zone is juggling three balls. It's easy. I can do it all day. I can look at you while I'm doing it. We can carry on a conversation. No problem. It's mm-hmm. fun. It's easy. But if my goal is improving and juggling, mm-hmm. I could juggle three balls for six hours a day and I'm never going to get any better. Um, that's my comfort zone. The other extreme is the panic zone. So if you offered me $10,000 cash, if I could juggle five balls for 30 seconds, I would not be able to do it. There's no way I would just, I don't, I, I can't do it. It's, it's, it's impossible for me at my current level of, of skill. And the promise of financial reward would just add to the stress and I would shut down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So comfort zone is no good for getting better. Panic zone's no good for getting better because you just shut down. So the sweet spot is the learning zone in the center. And it seems pretty obvious, but what was really cool to me is that he illustrated the fact that those things in our learning zone need to be just out of our current reach, right? Mm -hmm. So just, they're attainable, but they're just out of our current level. And if you think of this as a bullseye, uh, with a panic zone, comfort zone, learning zone, these these circles, concentric circles, are constantly adjusting and moving as you get better at something. So your comfort mm-hmm. zone grows, and the learning zone is just outside that perimeter. It's like raising raising the bar literally for you know the uh, the high jumper. So once you get to that next height, it's just a little higher, a little higher, a little higher. Well, he identifies something called deliberate practice, which. Um, there's some key components to it, like it's got to be repeatable, you've got to have immediate feedback, and you've got to have the ability to um, like self-analyze or have a coach on the side. You mentioned mm-hmm. the necessity of even life coaches having coaches or mm-hmm. career coaches having coaches. I like that. Um, it's kind of like teaching. You know, I, I am a teacher because I never wanted to stop going to school, you know, right. and, and uh, you know, the best teachers are those that are just there to continue to learn. 
Um, I am the poster child for per- personal development and professional development. That's why I'm a life coach. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. the same thing. I mean, teaching yeah. is the same. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you want to be close to it. Um, so for me, if I want to get better at juggling, I need to find something that's in my learning zone. So if three is my comfort, five is my panic. I'm no math major, but four is probably my comfort zone. Sorry, my learning zone. Mm-hmm. But to just say do four, that's not specific enough. Deliberate practice, you got to break it down even further. So for me to be able to do four, I have to be able to do two in my right hand and two in my left hand. And for me, I'm right-handed, so the left hand is harder. So if I were to spend 10 minutes a day doing two, throwing two balls in my left hand, that would do better. That would serve me well in terms of my overall goal, which is improving my juggling than mm-hmm. three hours of three ball juggling. This mm-hmm. is much more um, impressive when I do it with the juggling ball. So no, my, it's my, absolutely. my props, my props are, are right over there. I just don't want to get out of the frame, <laughs> <laughs> but, but so I'll say that again. So um, we want to avoid the panic zone. We want to avoid the comfort zone because that's where we just stagnate and we don't grow. We want to identify the learning zone, but get really specific within that learning zone about what is a, de- a, a deliberate practice we can identify that will expand our, our, uh, our, our comfort zone, basically. So it's those things. So for me, it's four balls and it's breaking it down. So 10 minutes a day, juggling two so that I can eventually get four will serve me well. Jump into mm-hmm. five or six or seven won't help. Staying at three, I will just stay where we are. So the whole idea of getting out of your comfort zone is me forcing myself to play, to work, to spend my time in the learning zone as opposed mm-hmm. to the comfort zone, which is frankly easier and yeah. more fun. Yeah. Um, so if we can get to the point where we somehow um, enjoy working in the learning zone, I think that's I think that's sort of I think that's sort of the key. Yeah. And I think um, if you were to stay kind of with their, the three ball juggling, it's like just kind of stagnation. That's an yeah. example, a really good example of just stagnation. And I think a lot of us during the pandemic realized how long we had been in our comfort zone, you know, and I think that's what we're starting to, that's why we're starting to see so many people uh, looking for those new things. You've probably seen an uptick in, you know, maybe the different types of students that you're getting that are exploring, exploring the arts and um, being outside of that comfort zone, doing that one extra thing in the day. Maybe you want to start a business. Maybe you want to learn to juggle. Maybe you want to learn to paint. So you take a, you know, painting, you know, an evening painting uh, class with your friends just to see, is it something that you like? So it's really just stretching yourself to that next level, but right. not making it so difficult that you get frustrated, you panic and you put it down right? and don't come back to it. Right. That's I, I, I also, with the, the pandemic, I, um, I own a guitar. I got, it's in the background there. I got yes. it for my 16th birthday. Yeah. Um, I'm no better than I was on my 17th birthday. You see a, you see a recurring theme here with me. Um, I have I, one I, in this corner over here. Okay. You can't yeah. see it. So I, I, I understand. 
it's it's spent a lot of its life with other people that know how to play it, you know, and they've babysat it for me and they give it back to me. I would pick it up once every year, once every couple of years, long enough to, to get the calluses on my fingers and I'd learn a couple chords, but I never figured out, I never spent enough time learning how to transition between the chords. So years go by and um, I, I over last summer, so a year ago in the summer, I got a ukulele, which... Um, because they just make me smile. Like it's hard yes. to be in a bad mood around a ukulele. Yeah. Also, if you're not particularly musical, it's also hard to make an ugly sound on a properly tuned ukulele. It's That's like the harm- it's like the harmonica in that way. It's it's hard to make an ugly sound. Um, so they just make me happy. And so you know, I bought, I got this ukulele, and you know they've got things. I don't read a a, a note of music. But they've got things online called, you know, ukulele tabs, which are yeah. like, it's like paint by number. It's like idiot proof. If you can, if you can memorize two or three chords, it'll tell you when to change the chord. It's written above the the lyric. So within 30 minutes to an hour, I was able to play something that resembled a song. Yeah. And that was extremely encouraging to continue yeah. to go. So had I just picked up the guitar again, I was, I'd go into my panic zone pretty quick. Cause you know, yeah. it'd take me forever just to figure out how to get it tuned properly. And then my hands hurt and the whole thing, but somehow ukulele was a learning zone activity for me, as opposed to the yeah. guitar, which was, which was panic zone and um, air guitar, which I guess was my comfort zone, but you know, you're not going to get any better. So, so I, my- I love, I love the ukulele now. Yeah. So, um, have you ever tried to use the guitar tabs to learn the guitar or is it the process of tuning? Because by the time I get it tuned, I'm tired. Yeah. I don't know. I, <laughs> I can't really explain it. And now I thought after I got a little confident with the ukulele, I'd go back to guitar, but if I hold the guitar now, it just feels huge. You know, it's like, right. I'm, it's like I'm holding a Volkswagen or something. And I'm like, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm very, I'm short. So a guitar, exactly. It's very uh, large trying to like manhandle it, so to speak. So I think it's just not mine. So you went to the Ukes. I went to uh, Jim Bay Drums. There, hey, there you go. So um, it's really difficult to make a bad sound on one, especially when yeah. you got other people. Plus, it's a great frustration reliever. And if you get Love with a it. group of people, it's fantastic. So I absolutely, that was a, a learning zone for me because I could follow along and it was really easy yeah. and everybody's happy when they're right. playing the drums. Right. And I was like, that's great. The guitar, it's not as happy. Not for me. Anyway, <laughs> so for, I'm with for, you. Not for us. Not for us. I'm with you on that. So absolutely. So that, uh, the learning panic zone, comfort zone, um, kind of a triangle so to speak or the venn diagram you know that sweet spot that you're looking for it, it i think that applies to everything i think it can so. apply to everything that you're doing in your life whether it be the current job or something else that you're getting ready to do i agree i think it's easy to to uh know what your comfort zone is it's pretty easy to figure out what your comfort zone is it's pr- even easier probably to figure out what your panic zone is if you identify those two, it's relatively easy usually to figure out what the learning zone is. Well, the hard part, I think, is drilling down and figuring about what's the the actable uh, 
task within mm-hmm. the learning zone. Like for me, it wasn't just trying four because that was actually pretty close to panic. Um, but it was breaking it down and figuring out, oh, two balls in my left hand mm-hmm. to get as good in my left hand as I am in my right hand. That's the deliberate practice. That's the thing that's repeatable. That's the thing that gives me the immediate feedback. That's why I love uh, unicycle as well. I, I, I learned unicycle and juggling at the University of South Florida in, in, in Tampa. And uh, it was this crazy class where there was no credit given for trying. They gave you a chart on the first day and showed you what you had to do to get an A in the class. And it was this things, And there was no attendance policy other than the grading days at the end of the semester. And mm-hmm. half the class drops out in the first few weeks because they thought it was an easy elective. But there's no, no, no credit for trying. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it it was, it was such a difference to everything else I was studying in the art. You know, you're either on the unicycle or you're not, there's no faking it. There's no, you know, well, my intention was, you know, what I was trying to say, no, you're juggling or you're not. And for me, the, 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 the concrete aspect of that was, was um, oddly refreshing compared mm-hmm. to some of the other subjective things that, that, that maybe we deal with in the arts. So yeah. I like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, and a lot of times in life, that's how it is. It's yeah. either you're doing it or you're not. And um, you can try and you're well-intended and, um, but a lot of times that, that, that it gets you to that next level because maybe your failures, like we discussed earlier, your failures teach you something. So the next time, but you don't get a lot of credit. Yeah. Or, or a lot of thing, times. One of the things that I say when I'm talking about getting out of the comfort zone is not waiting for it to get easier because all of yes. us in, in, in our life, we, we, we are constantly like, well, when the circumstances are right, you know, when we, when we have enough money, when I have the perfect group of employees, when I have mm-hmm. the perfect support system, you know, once I have this much money in the bank, once I have that, well, that that's a constantly moving target. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that, that confidence comes from experience and mm-hmm. experience comes from, from doing it, just, just yeah. doing it. I mean, obviously there's gotta be some training and some education. We're not telling surgeons to go out and just do it. Right. Um, but, but depending on the activity, I mean, that's why I come back to stand up comedy. It's like every comedian in the world, whether it's, you know, somebody like me who's really starting out um, and just sort of scratching the surface of the professional side of things or the best comedians in the world who are household names, they all start the same way. Mm-hmm. You go to an open mic in, in, a, in a room full of strangers and you try out material and yeah. then you constantly refine it and you know, listening to your audience. That's, that's another component of, of getting out of your comfort zone. Um, you've got to be willing to trust the audience. I could have, when I bombed in front of 200 people, I could have said, eh, whatever, you know, I could have just written them off. I could have left right. after my, my performance, but sitting and having to sit and watch this other more experienced performer get laughs. It's not that they didn't want to laugh. It's that they weren't buying what I was selling. Right. And so there was a responsibility for me to learn to know more about that audience and 
listen to the feedback they were giving me. And in this case, it was, it was silence, which was, which was painful, but I learned a lot by watching, by watching, um, uh, watching him perform and, and know that, okay, that's what, that's what we're doing. The other thing I like about comedy is, you know, right after you have, you have a good night and you're feeling pretty confident. And then the next night you'll go out, do the same material for a totally different group of people mm-hmm. and nothing, you know, or, or, or it, it, it's extremely humbling, pardon me, really humbling to that up and down that way. But it's to me, it's like this code that you're trying to crack. So it's, it's constantly this, this moving target. And, uh, it's really, uh, rewarding in that way yeah. to, to, to record what you're doing and, and uh, go back and listen to the tape. I mean, that's what I literally do, you know, like football teams, you know, I go back and I listen to the tape and I watch it because the way I feel about it in the moment is not always what really happened. And Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a lesson in that too. A lot of times the mistakes we make as, as public speakers or as fill in the blank, a lot of times it's the mistake is in our head. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw something today. Somebody said, Instead of thinking, oh, you had a bad day because something went wrong in the morning, think about your day is divided up into into like four quadrants or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, if, you know, kind of like the first quarter of a football game. So if you make a bad play in the first quarter, you gotta let it go. You got three more quarters to to, to figure it out. I'm, I'm not a sports guy, but I yeah. think a lot of a lot of the analogies are helpful. Yes, and I know that whenever I first started the show a couple of months ago first couple of weeks I was like, Oh, and I wouldn't listen. And now I listen to the shows a couple of days later right. and say, okay, here is, here are the things that I do that I need to do better. Here are the things that worked in that interview. Here are the things that didn't work. What did I do differently before the interview that I, you know, okay, let's not do that again. Or, yeah. Hey, that worked really well. So let's do that again. Um, And then also looking at, you know, the audience and saying, okay, what really hit for them? What resonated with them? Um, What shows are are they going back and listening to again? Mm. Um, So I'm able to uh, really drill into some of that and say, you know, uh, what is my audience looking for? What kind of change makers are they looking for? And um, the arts has been a really fantastic, it's really hit a, you know, a chord with them. Uh, every time we've talked about creativity or talked about the arts, it's, they really have an appetite for that. So I was really happy to see that, uh, the arts is, is really has an interest in my audience because it's one of my favorite things as well. So, so I do the same thing. I go back and I listen and think, what could I have done better? Right. I think, I think it's, I think it's essential. Um, you know, the, the, I, I learned about something called the after action review that, that occurs in, in, uh, in the military. And my understanding of the concept is, is after the operation or after the mission, uh, people come together and they debrief what happened, you know, and sometimes even uh, letting rank 
leave the room for the, for the purposes of the conversation. The lowest ranking person in the room needs to have the ability to speak openly and freely to the highest ranking person in the room. If the mm-hmm. goal is improving and in, in, mm-hmm. in something like healthcare or, or the, the military, we're sometimes talking about life and death stuff, you know, not mm-hmm. comedians telling jokes in a bar, but, but right. the, the concept is the same to have the ability to speak openly and honestly and create an atmosphere where constructive criticism is able to be given and received is essential Mm -hmm. to growth and not always easy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jason, in the last couple of minutes of the show, is there like two or three things that you would like for the audience to know maybe where you're, you're going to be next or something you would like to leave the audience with? Oh, well, I mean, you can follow my adventures on, uh, jasonhedden.com. Um, I've got, um, uh, collection of, of, of writings that, that are there, poems and things like that um, in a blog format. Um, you can find links to, if you want to see the demo of the, uh, uh, the juggling analogy, there's a, there's a nice video from Creative Con there from a couple years ago. You can check that out as well as my, my stand-up comedy schedule. Um, I'll be you know, around the Southeast uh, the, the, next, the next few months um, out at Emerald Coast Theater Company on October 19th. That's going to be a great show. Um, I guess I'd just leave the audience with the the the, audi- the the visual and the thing that I'd maybe like them to take with them, which is just the idea of if getting out of your comfort zone is something not to be feared, but to be embraced. If the goal is improvement, mm-hmm. then identify your comfort zone, acknowledge it. It's fun to play there. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get better, you've got to identify the learning zone and avoid the panic zone. And once you identify what that learning zone is, um, then drill down a little deeper and find out what's a deliberate practice, a baby step, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm big when we have these big meetings, stuff, right? we talked about all these crazy ideas. All right, baby step, like what's something we can do, you know, tomorrow, you hear writers say like, write every day. All right, well, there you go. That's something tangible that, that I can do. Because sometimes we make big goals and plans and they can be overwhelming. Um, so I'd say, acknowledge your comfort zone, avoid the panic zone, identify the learning zone. And once you're there, find that deliberate practice, which is repeatable, can give you immediate feedback and you can expand, uh, that comfort zone and you'll be well on your way to getting better at whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, me agreeing to do this with you is, is, um, is stretching me a little bit, you know, I have no Good. problem being speaking, but you know, I still don't like looking at myself while I'm talking, you know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not smart mm-hmm. enough to change the setting so that I'm not seeing that I'd much rather okay. be speaking and not seeing myself while I'm yeah. talking. Cause I don't think you can be editor yeah. and performer at the same time, but that was Absolutely. a long, long, that was a long winded way of saying, uh, a few things, but thank That's you for the right. opportunity. And thank you so much, Jason, for being on the show. And uh, thank you, everyone, who has joined us on Facebook and on our Voice America uh, app. You can reach me at, on Instagram at, at Counterbalance Coach, at Counterbalance Coach on Facebook, and uh, also connect with me through uh, the email link on Voice America. And next week, we will have uh, Jessica Holsepple 
joining us, and I look forward to having you next week. Thank you for listening to Counterbalance Conversations. Be sure to join your host, Dr. Melissa L. Strasser, for another inspiring program next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next program, do something that stands out this week. Make a change. Be the counterbalance.